You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or are going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Hey guys, it's Kat and Stefania. You're listening to This Life Explains It All, Vera's podcast. Today we are talking to Mia Davis. She is the founder and CEO of Taboo, which is a modern and approachable guide to sexual wellness. They educate on sexual wellness and related topics like relationships and pleasure, things that no one actually talks about, but everyone is curious about. They partner with therapists, doctors, and educators to verify and collaborate on all of their content so you know it's legit. Yeah, I first met Mia back in February. I actually went to a talk at the assembly here in San Francisco that was all about female entrepreneurs working in sexual wellness and working in that industry. And Mia shared not only about Taboo, this company that she founded, but also her journey to get there and how from the outside, it may have seemed like an unlikely one. I loved Mia. I loved hearing her speak. And I ran up to her after the talk and I said, you have to be on our podcast. Would love to have you on. I love what Mia has done because it takes so much of exactly that, what is taboo, what we don't talk about, what feels shameful to talk about, even if it's subconscious, around sex and brings it to the forefront and fills a lot of the information and education gaps that we have gotten or have acquired through our lives and how a lot of it even stems from the messaging we got in childhood. Yeah, absolutely. On the childhood front, I'm thinking back to, I mean, it was just, you know, sex and even body parts, things like that were just not talked about in my household. And when it was, it was more in the context of like something that happens after you get married. And that was kind of the extent of it. I remember my mom would say to me, she would really drill it into my head that sex is only meant for when after you're married. And I thought you just did it once as well. (laughs) Like I was like, like you just got married and had sex and that was it. And it had, and it was like very tied to having a baby as well. And that's the extent of it. So it wasn't until I got older that I realized that maybe she was saying that in a way to make sure that I didn't do anything before marriage. And sex is so much more than just getting married, doing it once and having a baby, (laughs) you know, like there's all this, you know, importance on pleasure and, and, you know, things like that, that we just weren't talked about. And I didn't know until a much, much later age. Yeah. What were you thinking during that time? What did you think about all of that? I remember thinking that doesn't sound right. Like I could, I remember feeling like she was just lying in a way, not lying Mm. in a, you know, 
in an intentional way, but I felt like she was doing it to almost protect herself from mistakes that maybe she had made or make sure that I grew up in a a certain way. Mm. So I remember thinking that something wasn't right about what she was telling me. Yeah. Well, the cycle of shame is from many generations. You know, it's like comes through many, many generations. I thought it was interesting specifically when we were talking about the you know, Mia said it starts from, you know, did your family use the anatomically correct names for sex organs or for your genitalia? And like, I remember that in my childhood, there were kind of these cutesy kid names for those things. And even saying the anatomically correct names as a child, it was kind of like a bad word to say penis or vagina. And that certainly shapes you. I think that, you know, again, even if it's subconscious, when you were telling your story about your mom, because that obviously has religious influence, it brought me back to my health class in high school. So I went to Catholic high school and we did not have sex ed. We only had health class where one year we spent some time talking about sex topics, but really really all we talked about was sexually transmitted diseases. That was the only thing. And that basically the message was, if you have sex, you will get a sexually transmitted disease and your health will be greatly compromised and, 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 and fear, 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 fear. And, you know, that sticks with you. And I think that one of the things that I love seeing now in more modern parenting, more modern kind of expression is that I think it's really important, especially for women from a young age to understand sex is supposed to feel good. Sex is supposed to be a good experience for you. Like pay attention to that piece of your experience because I think that when we're not taught that, a lot of younger people can fall into this, especially as a a woman in a heteronormative dynamic that, okay, like I'm here for the experience, but like sex is more for the guy when you're young versus, okay, like this may be, I'm maybe early on in this experience, but this is actually supposed to be really enjoyable for me too. And I think there's a lot of empowerment that comes from that. Yeah, definitely. And Taboo talks about the things that you might want to bring up in your friend group or you want to talk about, but you don't feel comfortable because of mainly all this conditioning and also even like, you know, previous generation conditioning. And it's interesting when she talks about all the types of content that really resonate and what gets the highest traffic, because it is those things that you just don't really talk about. Yeah. Like I remember there was one article the day that we interviewed her and it was like self-care for your labia. (laughs) And I was like, you know, that is an important part of the body. We should be caring for it. And no one talks about it. I think even saying the word labia in a modern vernacular is pretty recent, is pretty modern where it's just a normal thing to say. So, I mean, this could just be our experiences and maybe people listening had really more progressive experiences, but I think that, I don't know, it really struck a chord with me when she said the thing about the anatomically correct names. Cause I think a lot of people have had that experience where it's like, there's a cute, silly name or you just don't talk about it at all. Like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, what would happen if instead of so many girls, especially in our generation or in our experiences being told sex is bad, sex is dangerous, you're going to get an STD and change the narrative. And maybe your first conversations about sex were 
hey, this is supposed to be an experience that is something that is enjoyable for you, is something that you feel good in and that you can express what you want and all of these things. Like, how would that change the way that we feel empowered, maybe in all the other parts of our lives too? Mm, Definitely. I mean, I think it all goes back to being authentic. Yeah. Like being authentic and authentically sharing what's on your mind, authentically sharing what you really want and really knowing what that is. And I think that would make a huge difference if, I mean, sex is a huge part of that. Yeah. So before we get into this conversation with Mia, Kat, what's one product, practice, thing you're reading that you are into this week? I am reading a new book. It's a fiction book because I always read nonfiction, mostly self-improving things. Yeah. (laughs) And it can be a little stressful at times to always be reading that. So I was like, I'm just going to go and get a fiction book. And I really like the author, Leanne Moriarty. She's an Australian author. She actually wrote the book, Big Little Lies, which Uh, is really popular on Netflix. And also there's a couple others like The Husband's Secret and another show that just came out, not Big Little Lies, but Little little Fires Fires Everywhere. Everyone's obsessed with that. I haven't watched it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, oh, that show is amazing. Oh, really? Oh God, it is so good. And so she's the author of all of those. And I just picked up another one from her called The Last Anniversary. And I've been reading that this week. So it's really good. It's about a woman who she's in her forties and she's currently single and she wants to have a baby, but she's not seeing anyone at the time. And she turned away an engagement, um, a proposal a really long time ago. So she's questioning whether or not she should have done that or not. But and then there's this, this whole other mystery that's going on in this island that she's on. So it's it's totally fiction and like one of those page turner reads. Yeah. And it's it's very good so far. Oh, maybe. And it's also just nice. I got a physical book as well because I usually read from my oh. Kindle app. And it's actually really nice to not be looking at a screen while I'm reading. I love the physical book. And I love that you're reading a fiction book because I feel the same way. I'm always reading self-development or coaching books. And I love getting into a good story. And you know what else I love? I love when I'm finished with a hard copy book and then I can give it to someone. Mm, It's like kind of- That's a great- Yeah. Paying it forward. Paying it forward. Yeah. Remember that movie about that? I mean, some people love to have their books all over their shelves. And if something's really special to me, then I'll keep it. But I like the idea of kind of then paying it forward. And that's kind of completes the cycle of your experience with the book. So Interesting. Yeah. So what's one product? What have you been using this week? So I have been going deeper with the Saqqara stuff that I love. So I have been using the Saqqara Super Powder. I think I talked about this last week, but I've been using it every single morning now and I absolutely love it. So I am going to share on Instagram the recipe for this drink. It's kind of like a light smoothie drink that I make with it, but I've been using the Super Powder. It has plant protein, digestive enzymes, and it has this plant-based collagen support with things like ceramide. So I love plant-based collagen stuff because I really don't like the crushed up bone collagen option. That is the other main option. But since I've been using this for a while now, I've really started to notice the difference. So I noticed the biggest difference on my skin. I mean, like you can see my skin. I feel like it's way, way glowier since I've been using this Mm -hmm. every day. 
it specifically supports your skin and also the digestive enzymes. Like I feel like I always just have like a little bit of bloat in my lower belly. And it's like one of those things, especially in summer, I can like never even, I can never get it down as much as I'm working out because it's just that little bit of bloat. And I feel like when I drink this every day, my stomach is a lot flatter too. So I've been using that and I'll keep you posted. I just ordered a three-day reset, which is their meal program. So that's kind of like was their bread and butter that they started with, but it's all plant-based meals for three days, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I love doing that when I'm doing like a restart or reset on getting healthy in my eating again. So I just ordered that too. And if you guys want to check it out, I think I mentioned this last week, we got a discount code from Sakara because we've been using their products so much. So if anyone listening to this podcast wants to try anything from Sakara, so whether you want to try any of their clean boutique products, the super powder, I absolutely love this green powder. I live by it. I also love their collagen chocolates. Or if you want to do a week of a meal reset, like I did, where they give you your meals for your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They're really good. If you want to try any of the Sakara products, you can use our link in our code. So go to the link in the show notes of this episode and use the code XOVIRA. So it's X-O-V-I-R-R-A, and you will get 20% off anything that you order, as long as it's your first time ordering. So if it's your first time ordering from Sakara with your email address, you'll get a 20% discount, which is pretty big. Let us know if you try it. I'm going to share more of what I've been using, but I really absolutely love this stuff because it makes me feel great. It makes my skin glowy and I love everything about the company. It's clean. Everything's plant-based. It tastes good. It's like one of those healthy things you do for yourself that you actually enjoy and feels like a little luxury too. So I love it. I can't wait for them to ship to Australia. Yeah. Or can you smuggle some to me? Yeah, I'm going to order some and smuggle some across the border for you because they don't ship to Australia right now, but <laughs> we'll get you some, Kat. All right. So let's get into the conversation with Mia. We talk about why there is shame around talking about sex and how it stems from messaging around sexual, even anatomical terms we are given in childhood and those that are associated with shame. Mia shares her personal story here. Mia shares the top sex topics and most popular content resonating on Taboo now and how it doesn't necessarily align with what's most talked about publicly or even in close friend groups, but clearly shows the gap in information or education. Yeah. And Mia also shares a lot about her journey to becoming a founder and CEO, how she navigated the world of raising capital and coming into her own power as a CEO after having more of a traditional career path prior to that. All right, let's get into the episode. So Mia, you and I originally met at a panel that you did, and it was on sexual empowerment, female founders of sexual wellness companies. And I thought that it was really, really interesting. I loved hearing you talk about your work. And so that was where I first said, okay, we have to get her on the podcast. And I was really interested and fascinated by a lot of the things that were discussed on that panel and that you had to say too. And one of the themes, and I think one of the things that Talk Taboo covers, well, something that I know Talk Taboo covers is like all of the content and the the other side of this shame that still exists around talking about sex. So I want to start there. Why do you think that this shame exists 
when we're talking about sex and our sexual wellness? Yeah, I think that the shame exists from centuries of puritanical culture. And most people are raised to not talk about sex, not talk about their body parts. Um, You don't talk about it with your family. You might not even really talk about it with friends. I feel like little kids are often, if they say vagina or if they say anything related to sex, they're like hushed or they're, they get in trouble. And so if you're getting in trouble for talking about it from a very young age, it's just ingrained in you that it's wrong or that it's bad. And so then you have the shame. And then if you especially grow up in a more conservative family, like I did, or a really religious family and background, then that's a whole added layer of shame because literally sex and pleasure is seen as like before marriage, obviously is seen as sinful outside of the heterosexual construct is seen as sinful still in many, in many religions. And so I think there's just so much that's shrouded in shame and we're carrying that with us throughout our adult lives, even once we start to talk about it or if we start to talk about it. Yeah. That's so interesting because I feel like looking back on my childhood, I never talked about sex. Like as even as I was becoming a, a teen, like that just wasn't something that I would talk about with my family or it was very open about. And even I remember my mom would always say like, you have to wait until you're married to have sex. And I knew that that she probably like that wasn't even true for her, but she was just trying to drill that into me. So I just was taught to never talk about that. How have you seen it change in the world today with parents and their children? Are you seeing changes and what are they? Yeah. It's funny that you should say that. I think one of the most wild and wildly hypocritical things to me that still astounds me is that parents seem to forget or pretend that they were never young, like that they never had any type of sexual desire in their teenage years. And so many adults that I know got pregnant either before they were married, definitely had sex before they were married, And yet they're the same one saying like, oh, you know, you should wait, which I find interesting. I guess you kind of teach what you wish you had done or you're still carrying that shame. But um, how I've seen it evolve. I mean, I do think there's a lot of parents. The trouble is that I live in somewhat of a bubble now, especially now that I'm in this field. I feel like the people I follow, the people that I see on like social media are people who are raising intentionally raising more like sex positive kids. Because every time I go home, even in general with like conversations, I think that, oh, like things are so much more progressive now. And then I go home, which is like in the suburbs of Chicago and I hear my family and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe nothing has changed. But at the same time, you know, there's newer shows like on Netflix with like sex education and Big Mouth and um, stuff like that. So I'm hopeful that more like that younger people are having these conversations now. But at the same time, now that I'm thinking about it, Big Mouth itself is is targeted toward, even though it's cartoon, is targeted toward adults. So I don't know. I think I haven't seen like a huge shift, but there's definitely a ton of resources. So I imagine that people are hopefully accessing them. 
I feel like even what you mentioned about like even using the anatomically correct terms, saying penis, saying vagina, like those, when I was growing up, it was like, you did not say that. That was bad if you said that. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you think about, we talk a lot about our subconscious mind develops from zero to seven and then up to 14 in like the second phase. But if those anatomically correct words are being ingrained in your subconscious as shameful, that definitely has repercussions as you grow. So I think that's so interesting. I'm curious to hear, and I know you shared a little bit about this on that panel that I mentioned, but you mentioned just now your family and your upbringing being religious. And I think it's it's so interesting that you have that background and have gone on to create Talk Taboo. Can you talk to us a little bit about your background and then how it may relate to your journey and what you've created? I was born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago um, in a very Christian, a very conservative household. I went to a Lutheran school for 11 years, so three, age three through 14. And uh, I'm like, is that 11 years? <laughs> so, <laughs> I think so. And so, you know, we had a religion class every single morning, we had chapel on Wednesdays, and then church on Sunday and then youth group on Sunday night. And so it was definitely a lot of religion. And then my grandpa and like another portion of my family is Mormon. So they're Mm. super conservative as well. And, and yeah, I mean, we were taught in school. I remember in like fifth grade, we went to this place called Robert Crown Center and we basically got divided in the class into like boys and girls, which I think is problematic in itself because I think everyone should learn how everyone's bodies work. I think that would be really fantastic for yeah. uh, for people. But yeah, so we were divided into boys and girls. And then the first, I think that year we learned more about like reproductive organs. It was always framed more in like the biological sense, never as pleasure, if anything, as painful. I remember believing that sex was going to be super, super painful and I, I really genuinely was like, I don't know why anyone would do this other than to like have babies. So I guess I'll do it like three times and have three kids. That's great. And yeah. And then obviously, you know, then I became, I started getting older and I had a boyfriend and I started having desires, which is totally normal. And I felt really guilty about it. I had a hard time reconciling those very normal urges and even with like masturbation, I remember thinking that that was like, there would be times where I was watching something and I'll get like aroused and then I'll be like, oh my God, like I'm a demon or like, Uh, I'm so messed up. This is so weird. What am I doing? I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know what it was called. Yeah, I just thought it was weird. So yeah, so that definitely created a very shameful understanding of like my body of sex. And then I started getting my period and it was always super irregular And so then the doctor wanted to put me on birth control. And then I remember hearing stories from like family members that if you go on birth control, it can lead to like a miscarriage and just all these myths and all these things that I believed and didn't know any better. So I was like, okay, well, I won't do that. Not that birth control is perfect and it definitely shouldn't be prescribed to everyone as like the one size fits all solution to problems. That's another issue. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I just had so little understanding and my mom, my mom to this day won't even really say period. <laughs> she was cleaning 
the other day and she was like, oh, there, I just found a bunch of those things. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And she was talking about tampons. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so it's just ridiculous. But yeah, so that was kind of like how I grew up and I had these issues with my period always. I then started to have issues like I couldn't use tampons. Um, so there was issues with my pelvic floor and just a tightening. And I think looking back on it, I think a lot of that was due to the messaging that I got about painful penetration because I thought it was going to be painful. So then I was clenching and had tension and was afraid of it. And so, you know, nothing could really get in, in terms of like a tampon or anything. And then, yeah, going into college, I became like sexually active. And then unfortunately I had an experience with sexual trauma and that kind of re- brought back some of those issues with penetration. And so then I wasn't able to have penetrative sex. And that was a whole, that was like really tough to navigate in terms of my self-esteem and just my relationship with my body and my sexuality and all of that and my boyfriend and our relationship. And then, yeah. And then a couple of years after college or like a year after college, my friends and I were talking about all this stuff. And that's sort of where Taboo was born from was sort of this lifetime's worth of not knowing anything about my body, having all these issues, um, not having any way, or even going to my gynecologist who never really had any helpful suggestions for like how to fix anything on the penetration side of things. And just feeling very, very alone and feeling very embarrassed and feeling just having no, like Cosmo at the time was the best resource, quote unquote, that, that was available. So or like WebMD, you know, which is too clinical. So, so yeah, that's kind of how Taboo was born was to try to give people that those answers and give them a space to explore and learn and then ultimately connect with experts if they want to, if they need to go to a therapist or if they want to find a gynecologist or a pelvic floor physical therapist and stuff like that. What was that one moment where you were like, this is it, this is what I want to create? Yeah. So at the time I was working at Salesforce as a user experience designer. So I had no intention of ever going into this field. I mean, as you can see, I had so much shame and everything around it. I never imagined I would be in this field, but my friends and I, we all went out one night and then the next morning we were just kind of joking around about like how when you watch TV and movies, you know, sex goes from zero to 1000 and people just like, it's like this hot and heavy scene. They come home, they're like they're banging into the walls, yeah. you know, wake up in bed covered, you know, ever so perfectly. With the sheet and, wrapped around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pulled over like right beneath the shoulders. So you know, there's never a conversation. There's no condoms. There's no awkward fumbles. There's no reality um, depicted in most scenes. And so we were kind of just joking around about like, you know, it'd be so fun to create more cheeky, but like educational tools and this and that. And we were thinking about sex toys, which at the time, I'm not even sure I had owned ever owned a sex toy at the time, but we were talking about like, you know, what if we created butt plugs that were like, looked like an outlet or something like that and just like made it super funny so that it would be more accessible and approachable. And then from there, I was kind of the one friend who took it seriously. And I, like, we all met up again and then slowly one by one, all my friends were like, well, 
I do this, so I'm not going to do that. And I'm, I'm bowing out because I'm not really that interested. And then I was the one who's like, I think because I knew the need so much, mm-hmm. I just kind of like held on to, I really wanted to do something. And I was like, this feels like there's something here. And so me and another friend kind of took, took it from there and it totally changed. I mean, we never built any product. We then thought about doing like a virtual in-app appointment app, but the pricing model didn't really make sense just in terms of like what at the time, I mean, I was like 23. And so it was thinking about like, what could people afford and, Mm -hmm. you know, what's realistic And a lot of the therapists at that time that we were talking to, their rates were so high. And so we're like, this doesn't make sense for like what we're trying to do, which is make this information super accessible. So yeah, so then we launched an app in 2016. And that was more like educational articles and a community where you could ask questions and get answers from both people like peers. And then it was separated by peers and experts so that you knew like, okay, this is a professional answer, but this is a community answer. So I'm, I don't feel alone. So kind of Mm -hmm. addressing both aspects of like feeling isolated and then also addressing having more like evidence-based professional responses. And yeah, from there, we realized a lot of people will like ask the same questions and it's not that scalable. So then we decided to focus mostly on content so that people who are searching, which is the primary behavior that people have when they have a question is they turn to Google um, for better or worse. And so we (laughs) thought about, okay, let's, let's build up the content on our site so that when people Google, they can land on an article from us and then go from there and we can give them more resources from there. But yeah, that was kind of that light bulb moment, I would say, was that conversation with my friends. Because I think for me, I also realized in that moment that even though my friends had completely different backgrounds than me, most of them not super religious or super conservative, they still had the same questions. They still had some of the same issues. So I realized like, okay, this is a problem. And um, how can we go about addressing it? Yeah. It's almost like, I mean, I think if, if someone were taking kind of like that lens of pulling out and kind of looking at the big picture and maybe even thinking about it in like a spiritual or like purpose way, you were set up perfectly to create this because you had the experience that you did of, of growing up. And without that, maybe you wouldn't have had that push. So I like to look at it like that and feel like it all kind of connects looking back. Totally. I think I always say that I'm like, it's a lifetime's worth of experiences that brought me to this yeah. where I am today. Yeah. Well, you guys, you cover a lot. I mean, you cover pleasure, you cover sexual wellness, you cover relationships. I think even mental health I saw. What do you find resonates most right now? Like, do you have a piece of content or something that you guys do that you're like, that is what like 90% of people are coming for or, or something like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, surprisingly, we get a ton of traffic from an article we have on prepping for anal sex. That's like our top performing article ever. Wow. And I think it makes sense. And anytime we publish anything related to porn, that also gets a ton of traffic, especially on our Instagram. We have some content around like having a sensitive clitoris and like how to deal with that. And that also gets a ton of traffic. I think it's the topics that a lot of people really don't talk about. Yeah. You know, where people aren't going there or that you really don't want to ask anyone. You know, yeah. so for people who are like, 
their first time, you know, thinking about anal sex, they're like, well, maybe I'm not quite ready to ask my friends or maybe <laughs> I don't even know if my friends have done this. <laughs> Let me look at this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, and I think what's great about the experience that you guys have created is like, okay, you're looking up information about the first time anal sex, for example. And it's like, oh, wow, like here is a resource that's like beautifully designed, really accessible, letting me know in a lot of different ways that it's okay. Other people are looking at it. It's not like this shameful, shady place that you may find elsewhere on the internet. So I think that that is really, really important. Have you seen a shift in any of the content types of content being consumed with all the stuff that's happening in the world with the COVID and now the Black Lives Matter movement? Like, has there been a shift with people like being at home more and probably a lot more stressed? Yeah, totally. I mean, in terms of like what our community has been asking for, so we've been soliciting a lot of like what kind of content would be helpful for you right now. There's been a lot of, it. well, for one, a lot of people are feeling super lonely, which makes sense being in isolation, or even if you aren't necessarily in complete isolation, you can't see friends, certain friends and family, depending where you live or depending where they live and all that stuff. So loneliness has come up a lot. Really toward the earlier days of um, quarantine, we had a lot of engagement around content to do with relationship conflict Mm -hmm. and also navigating sexual desire. So we actually have an online course all about mismatched desire in a relationship and desire has been all over the place throughout the past, like how, how long has it been now? Like three months, because in combination with people being at home, being in the same space all day, there's so much stress going on. There's so much anxiety for a million different reasons. And then recently, I think with like the inundation in the news with all of the tragic events and all of the protesting and everything that's going on. I think people are exhausted. People are scared. People are looking for resources. They're stressed. So we're just trying to create more content around mental health. We're publishing some content so people can support Black-owned businesses. And yeah, just really making sure that people are taking care of themselves because this is a super, super stressful time. And do you feel like there are misconceptions that have been uncovered through the way people are engaging with your content or what you've been seeing in terms of engagement when it comes to this space? I imagine there are many, but I wonder your thoughts on that in terms of what you're seeing in terms of the big misconceptions that are coming through. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we constantly get the response of like, I never knew that, or I never thought about that. I remember one piece of content. I don't know if this really answers the question, but um, we published a piece of content on postcoital dysphoria, which is essentially feeling sad after sex, which is a really common thing for people, but no one really knows what it is or what it's called or what it means or what to do. Um, And so that was like, there was a lot of engagement around that because it was for many people like, oh, I've never, like, I never knew the name for it, or I never knew that that was a thing. And so I think that the biggest thing, in addition to like relearning something or unlearning something and kind of uncovering myths is also the affirmation and like validation that something you're experiencing is real and something that you're experiencing is not atypical. Because I think that's the biggest misconception of all is that 
there's some type of normal and like there is no normal, but at the same thing, at the same time, like everything is normal. Like everyone's experience. You're not the only person to ever have experienced something. Can we talk about that a little bit? That topic? I haven't heard of that. I'm in the camp that hasn't heard of that. And what does that look like? Like what might that feel like? And then what can someone do if they're feeling that postcoital dysphoria? Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. And why does it happen as well? So basically how it manifests is that people will feel some type of just like sadness or, you know, a melancholy kind of feeling after sex. And so that can be as much as like wanting to cry or just to be alone, to kind of retreat and not really be as like, you know, engaged with your partner essentially. And so some of the ways and some of the reasons that that could happen I think it can happen for a number of reasons. So one is that there's like a rush of emotions. There's a rush of hormones as well, like during sex. And so the come down can kind of feel like a crash. Another reason I think can be if you have experienced trauma in the past, for some people um, that can be coming up. And so that can kind of be on the other side of, of an actual experience, um, even if it was pleasurable and even if it was good. And then... Oh, in terms of like having to deal with it or like what you can do to kind of recover from it. So I think that one of the most important things you can do in any situation is just communicate with your partner and kind of let them know how you're feeling. Because obviously a lot of people can take things personally, right? So if you are retreating after sex or you're feeling kind of sad, your partner might blame themselves or think like, you know, what did I do? And the other thing is a topic that comes up, I think a lot in the BDSM and like kink community, which is aftercare. And I think that should be extended in other, you have an intimate experience with your partner. You're also sharing in like, how do you feel? And like cuddling and, you know, just kind of like supporting your partner and making them feel cared for, even if you're not in a relationship, just kind of having that, Mm -hmm. that bond and that trust. And um, another thing, I mean, if you think if it's a common issue that's coming up, you can talk to a therapist, you can talk to a sex therapist. And I think just knowing that it's not weird and it's, you know, it's just your body's response. But I think there's no like conclusive evidence on why it happens, just more so speculation around like what it could be. Uh, Yeah, that's super interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard that before, but I think it makes sense as it could be like some sort of triggering emotion from a subconscious or could really be anything, but that's really fascinating. I haven't heard that. What do you see or do you see any differences in what people are consuming that in terms of content that are in relationships versus single? Do you see any differences there? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's one thing that's been interesting just thinking about who is engaging with our content Mm -hmm. because there is a big difference between... So one of the main challenges, I think, with creating content for people who are single or like not in a monogamous or traditional relationship or consistent relationship is that can we be real about it Um, is around communication. So like a big thing is like how to communicate with a partner, like how to bring up something that you like, how to introduce like mm-hmm. dirty talk or any type of thing mm-hmm. that you haven't done before. And I think when it when you're in a relationship, 
a lot of people in relationships don't have these conversations either, which can be a huge problem. And I think can lead to a lot of issues in the relationship if you're not able to like genuinely, honestly talk with your partner. But I think that if this is someone you've never hooked up with before, maybe it's like after a first date, it is going to be a bit of a different (laughs) level of anxiety. Like the same advice applies in terms of like being honest and, you know, asking questions. But I know that in reality, you're going to feel less comfortable. Like there's just, it's hard to communicate how to have, because that's something you just have to build. It's like a skill, you know, communication is a skill. So you just have to build it. Um, And I do think that that's a little bit easier. I mean, it can be challenging in a relationship. If you've never talked about it before, you might be more afraid of hurting their feelings. Whereas with a new or a random partner, you may not care as much. But I think it's about creating content that resonates with anyone, but also addresses the realities of like being in a relationship and not being in a relationship. And both have, it depends on the relationship you're in or the person you are. You know, some people are just super confident and some people aren't. And some people are in relationships where they talk about everything and some people are in relationships where they don't talk at all. So yeah, so I don't know, that's not really an answer, but the the idea is that I think that most of the advice and most of the tools that our experts will talk about, I think are applicable to anyone, but it's just about like, I know that if I read something, I might be like, okay, this is true, but how can I really do this with someone I've never been with before? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And it's like that, it's just that communication is so important. And even with me and my relationship, I'm like, wow, I just communicated. I make up all these things in my head and it goes, you know, in the completely wrong direction, but then I communicate and it's not, it's it's just over and you move on. So that's definitely something that I've learned through being in a, not even just a relationship, romantic relationship with any relationship is just communication. Yeah. I'm curious, and maybe this is more, a little bit more on the business side, but how did you go about building that network of experts that you have now? Did you always know that was something that you wanted to have um, part of it? Yeah. So I think since, since we originally wanted to build the service to connect people with, you know, therapists, doctors, et cetera, from the start, we were talking to experts. And because this wasn't my background, my background's in product and product design and technology. I knew that for me, it was going to be super important to connect people with people who actually know what they're talking about. And obviously I've learned a lot along the way, but I mean, it's nothing compared to people who are, this is their profession and they have years of background. And I think the unfortunate thing is that there are a lot of publications that don't have a good understanding of like, what is, you know, a quote unquote, like qualified or like I had, there was a lot of, there was a huge learning curve, honestly, just even understanding like, what is a sex therapist? And in terms of sex educators, you know, there's sex educators who have certifications, but just because you don't have a certification doesn't necessarily mean you're not qualified, but then it's about understanding like, what's your educational background? What's your training? Um, what's your framework? Where, where have you mm-hmm. practiced? You know, I think there's a lot of people online who are like, quote unquote, sex experts or sex bloggers that get framed as sex educators. And that's not necessarily 
like obviously you can learn from anyone, but there's a difference between personal experience and like evidence-based information. So, so it was a lot of kind of trying to wade through that. I did a lot of outreach on LinkedIn. I did a ton of outreach on Twitter. I would DM people and I still do on Instagram. I would meet someone who would connect me with someone else. I went to a conference called the Sex Expo in LA. That was one of the first events I ever went to. Um, and so I started to meet some people in the industry. And again, there's a variety of people in the industry. Yeah. So like, it's also about navigating, like, I'm pretty sure I met these people who were like heading up a cult. <laughs> and that's the troubling thing in this field is that a lot of people can kind of call themselves whatever they mm-hmm. want. So I think it's, I think that's one thing we try to do is like, make sure that the people we're working with really promote those people so that we can make sure our community is going to people that we trust, but also helping to educate and empower people to know what should I look for? How do I know if this person is legit? Mm -hmm. You know, because for me, it's been a journey. So I can only imagine for someone who has never been, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like um, at the beginning of this, I fell into a lot of things that were like, wait, what? (laughs) So I know that that's a, that's a tough journey, you know, so we try to make it easier for people. What was the most rewarding part of starting your business so far? I think it's just getting feedback from people, you know, when someone reaches out and says like, wow, you know, like this piece of content really resonated with me or someone emailed me the other day and was like, I feel seen in ways that I never have before and like stuff like that. I think I have a folder that's just like for bad days, you know, where I can (laughs) look at that. (laughs) And try to remind myself that even if it's not every single day, that there you never know who's looking. You never know who is completely changing the way they think or, you know, hopefully having better relationships, getting out of bad relationships. Some parents have reached out saying that they've gone through the site with their kids. So I think that, you know, just hearing those things is really rewarding because it feels like we're pushing the needle. So... I love that idea about the the folder. Yeah. For yeah. a bad day. I love that. I, I've actually that. been building a little bit of that in my phone. Like I'll screenshot things and I'll I'll look at them when I'm not having the best of days or when I'm doubting myself, which I think we can all do sometimes. And totally recommend that to anyone listening. You get great feedback at work from a friend, anything, save it, refer to it. I think that it's it's great. But I love what you said about people feel seen for the first time. I mean if I've learned anything, it's that that is at the core of what we all want is to be seen and to be heard. I think about this quote from Oprah all the time because I always listen to Oprah's super soul conversation. It's like part of my (laughs) daily practice. And she says, Mm -hmm. like, basically she says that the biggest thing she's learned through her entire career is that the thing everyone wants to know is, do you see me? Do you hear me? And does what I have to say mean anything to you? Like, honestly, I'm going to cry saying it because it makes me so emotional. But I think that this is such a great example of that because it's all of the things that we don't talk about. We don't even know if we can talk about. And then we can find a place where it's like, oh, like, I'm okay. Like, I'm normal. I'm seen. And I think that that's really beautiful. Yeah, that's definitely the goal because I think that far too many people are living in fear or shame and isolation and then they get stuck in bad situations because they don't really see, or they just get stuck with like 
mediocre situations or not experiencing pleasure and all these other things that people just don't think are possible because they've never known anything other than what they're experiencing. So I think it's like knowing that you can, you deserve better and, and it's okay to not know better. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, from the perspective of you as a founder and and building this business and being a female founder in this space in particular, what are some of the challenges that you faced? Do any in particular stick out to you? Can you talk about how you've moved through those? Yeah. I mean, I think from like a gender perspective, I think I had a lot of work to do at the beginning in terms of like, even now, you know, especially because at the time I was living in San Francisco and I moved back to San Francisco just a few months ago, um, right? In <laughs> and part of the reason I moved to New York for a few years was because I noticed that, you know, everyone here, it's the Bay Area, it's really tech focused. And so I was embarrassed to share what we were doing. And I think a lot of mostly men weren't taking it seriously or were kind of giggling or uncomfortable. I think there's also a lot of assumptions about what it means about you as a person, because, you know, obviously the funny thing is that I wasn't sex positive growing up. I I think a lot of people assume like, oh, she must be really into sex or she must be like, yeah, just like sexually adventurous or something like that, which isn't not true, but it's also like not a I understand the assumption. You pursue pursue something you're passionate about, but I'm more passionate about the problems and I'm more passionate about the lack of information. So I think, yeah, so people, and, it, and it's also just weird because you're, you're immediately being sexualized. I mean, women are already immediately sexualized in many cases, but then the second that you, you're talking about sex, you know, you're kind of taking the conversation to a new level. And I also think that makes a lot of people just trailblaze through those boundaries that most people have. Like most people won't talk about sex at all. Right. But then the second that you do, people want to talk to you about everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's definitely been something interesting to navigate. And I, I take it with the understanding that, you know, that's why we exist. People don't have a resource. So obviously when they know that I'm open to talking about it, they will come to me. But at the same time, it's, not an open invitation. You know, it's just like, it's just like respecting someone's boundaries. So um, so I don't know. I think as like a, from a professional setting, it's definitely been kind of uncomfortable sometimes earlier days doing like, we went to like a trade show and, you know, it was the assumption that we were like the marketing girls or whatever, Mm. which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but it was just like the assumption part, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that also for me was just a journey and kind of like, okay, I'm the one who needs to be confident and I'm the, I, no one ever necessarily said anything like super rude or derogatory, but I think it was just a mix of my own awkwardness around it at the beginning and also just people's assumptions and, you know, just being in a male dominant, even the sex industry is still male dominated. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, like I remember early on, friends being like, oh, you know, at the time when we launched this app, we're like, oh, how's your blog? You know, and just kind of, it just felt like a lot of people were kind of talking down to us about it. So how did you get through those moments internally? 
I think I just kind of like, well, I did move to New York because I started having, I, I was just like, I went there for a few meetings and every single time I'm, first of all, there's a community out there, well, sort of originated out there, but now it's everywhere, which is the women of sex tech. And so I started meeting a lot of people in this field and who were doing really innovative and creative things. Now there's so many more companies, honestly, in the sexual wellness space. But at the time, in terms of like more tech-driven companies, we were kind of one of the original ones. And so at least from my understanding. And so, you know, every time I left New York, I'd feel really invigorated and excited. And I loved being there and the energy was super high and the people were really, they just got it in a way that people here didn't get it. So that's part of the reason I moved there. And then I would say the experience changed. And I've also just grown a lot and I've been getting older, of course. And so, you know, just like, I think I just realized that it doesn't really matter, you know, what anyone thinks because they're not our customer or they're not our community or maybe they are, you know? And I think that, I honestly think a lot of people also just, we're all coming from the same limited understanding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't really blame them for their ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to start their own business? Well, I would say really, really, really get to know the problem. Talk to people, talk to as many people as you can and try to understand what the problem is. I think there's a lot of businesses that don't solve problems. And I think that can, you know, that's just challenging. I would also say, you know, try to be honest with yourself about what kind of stamina you have. I think that, so the podcast I was telling you guys about that I started with my friend is called Flounders and it's called Flounders because it's for founders and, you know, the, the concept that we're all floundering. Like even if you're doing really well, or even if you just got a press feature or raise money or this or that, there's every single day is a new challenge. And, you know, there's so many highs and lows and there's just a lot that comes with starting a business and keeping a business alive and pivoting in a business and just all the different aspects. So I think you have to be honest with yourself. And that also means, you know, if it's not for you, that's okay. It's not for most people. There's nothing wrong with trying something and deciding that it's not for you. But if you do decide that it is for you, try to be very intentional about self-care in like the real way. Because I know I have had periods of like, letting my physical health suffer, letting my mental health suffer, relationships suffer because you're just so tunnel vision focused on your business and you let everything else fall apart and you can't build a successful business. You need to like take care of yourself first, basically. Do you have any top or can you share what's your top self-care practice or, or ritual that you do to keep yourself whole and feeling good? Yeah, it's called Bravo TV. (laughs) (laughs) I love that answer. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I just watch TV. Like it's a way for me to zone out and chill. And uh, if I binge several slash 10 or more episodes, that's okay. You know, I think you just need to find what it is that brings you joy and ice cream. Ice cream and Bravo is 
is a self-care for me. Uh, we have to hang out. I love those two things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny yeah. because I've heard like TV mentioned and talked about as like, it's a numbing thing. It, it numbs you. And, and at first I'm like, oh, okay. Like that's not good. But then I, I use it the same way sometimes where I'm like, I need a break. I'm going to like watch a show. Maybe it is like a little bit numbing. That's exactly what I need so that I can go away from what I'm doing right now and then come back and have that time where it was just totally like in a different state. So I think that we don't give enough credit to stuff like that. No. If it feels good. Yeah. I'm the same. I That's the number one way that just completely relaxes me. So I'm all for it. All right. Well, since this is This Life Explains It All, we always ask all of our guests, what experience in your life would you say has been your greatest teacher? It doesn't have to be the biggest, but it can be one of, if that makes it a little easier. Oh, okay. So this is kind of how I got into product design. So I was taking this, uh, my freshman year of college, I was taking an introductory design seminar, which was kind of out of left field for me because I never had any interest in art or design, or I don't think I connected the pieces at the time of like what design is, but the class sounded really interesting. So anyway, we were going through different someone came to present and he was talking about different case studies and his work. And one of the examples that he gave was that he created prosthetic limbs. And he was talking about how he originally assumed that people would want body like extensions that looked like body parts. And in talking to people, what he realized is that actually a lot of people can find those creepy looking, like it is actually the body part. So it's not like it feels more real because it looks like it. So in talking to people who, you know, wanted prosthetic limbs, he realized that there was an opportunity to add personality and to add some fun to it. And so he creates designs that have like flames on them or, you know, really fun patterns and whatever the person who wants it wants and what feels like an extension of their personality. So for me, that was kind of the moment that I learned. That's kind of why I mentioned like solving problems is like, and talking to people, because I realized that there's so much insight you can get from actually talking to someone who's experiencing a problem and that it's really limiting to build based on your own assumptions. And you might be surprised. And then to take those surprise learnings and really build something meaningful to someone that can make them feel good about themselves. And so, yeah, that was kind of a big teacher for me. And that's how I got into design and just really excited about trying to help people feel, you know, feel like they can live their best lives and and feel good about themselves. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I'm going to remember that. Well, thank you so much for being on and having this conversation with us. I'm so happy we were finally able to make it happen. This was great. Me too. Thank you. And where can people find you if they want to work with you, if they want to reach out? Yeah, for sure. So our website is talktaboo.com, T-A-L-K-T-A-B-U.com. Um, Instagram is T-A-L-K period T-A-B-U. And then if you want to get in touch with me, um, you can either email me at Mia at talktaboo.com or hit me up on Instagram, which is M-T-O- T-H-E-I-A, M to the I-A. We'll link all those in the show notes so you can click them. Cool. Thank you so much, Mia. This was such a great conversation. Thank you. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.